Bridging the gap between the eye test and the analytics, it's the Staff and Graph Podcast with your hosts, Rachel Dory and Ian Tullock. back on the Staff and Graph podcast. I'm Rachel. Ian, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent, but I think most people care about our guest that's joining us on the show right now. How about you introduce her, Rachel? So last week we talked about goaltending and we had some hot takes and our guest messaged me that she wanted to yell about goalies and we're super excited to have Catherine Silverman of Ingle Magazine on the podcast. How are you doing, Catherine? I'm fantastic. It's 105 Fahrenheit in Phoenix right now, which for uh, for you Canadians, that's uh, about 38 Celsius. So I feel fantastic. <laughs> I would like to be where you are right now and not where I am right now, which is in my dark room because it's five degrees Celsius outside. <laughs> I, I miss that right now, but... It's, it's only going to get hotter here, which which makes it perfect for, for the league to move games here, right? Yes. But what we're really looking forward to is the hot takes, Catherine. That's all we want here. You know, that's what the people want. It's hot here, so I have hot takes. It's That's that's a dad joke. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll keep those to a minimum. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> okay, so I think, like, right off the bat, um, we've definitely got, like, a couple things we want to cover. Um, but we both... Ian used to be a goalie. I used to teach at a goalie school and you actually know about goalies. So when we were talking about some key metrics, I kind of felt like we didn't hit all of them last week. So when you are looking at statistically evaluating a goalie, what are some key metrics that you look at for performance and then to make projections, let's say, if you're scouting? So for the projections, that's the hardest one, right? Because those are the ones that Right now, uh, I think the toughest part is when you look at a projection, you're looking at down the line. When you're looking, especially with scouting, you're looking at if this play, if player X goes to team Y or if they have these other players with them, how will they perform? And right now, goaltending metrics are all still very reliant on everyone else on the ice. So we don't really have a ton of isolating goaltending metrics, right? So when it comes to projections, eesh, uh I like to look at year to year. Um, I like to look at the year to year quality start percentage, um, which sounds kind of funny, but it just shows their consistency. Um, okay. Even if they're not playing at the highest level that they could be, even if you know their their numbers are getting a little skewed because their defense is is run and gun because they're they're facing a lot of screenshots. They're facing a lot of shots that come off of the second or third rebounds that they've allowed. Um, you're still getting a fairly good idea of how consistent they are with with putting up the same numbers game to game. And then you can, once you look at who's the most consistent, you can go into looking at the high danger save percentage. You can look at even the the expected save percentage to an extent, although I know 
I listened to the podcast that you guys did last week. I know I told you, Rachel, I, I went out for a nice run past, uh, past Gila River Arena, which is a nice couple miles from me. Listen to the whole thing. Um, when you look at those numbers, the publicly available data is still so different from what we're looking at privately. So, so my cheating answer is I, I message Cole Anderson and get, get the privately yes. available data before I, before I really start looking at a player to see what the, what the difference is between what we're publicly and privately seeing. But I also like to look at those, those consistency numbers first, like Anders Nielsen versus Jacob Markstrom for me was a huge one. They had similar ish numbers year to year when you're looking at them with the Canucks, but Anders Nielsen until this last year with Ottawa had one of the worst quality start percentages in the league. He never hit league average when it came to quality start. It was constantly in about the 40% range and Typically, about league average is 53% to 58%. And he was sitting in the 40s every year, sometimes even the 30s, when he had good other numbers. So he was wildly inconsistent, uh, whereas Jacob Markstrom was a little bit more consistent with everything. So that gave me a little bit of a platform. But like, like you guys said on the last podcast, looking at those projections and those scouting numbers, there's still so much that's reliant on trusting the public data there's still so much that's reliant on who the player who the goaltender is playing with how many starts they're getting what their rest is like that it's kind of hard to project what they will play like in the future because all of that could change year to year I know this is something that Nick Mercadante has looked into when it comes to looking at a goaltender's win threshold or loss threshold. You want to see, is this a player who can stand on their head and really steal me a game? That was something that Nick looked at where that would be a goalie with a really high win threshold, a goalie who wins a lot of games. Loss threshold was how many times is this goalie going in there and just giving us a complete stinker and letting in a lot of goals and we're going to lose the game because of this goalie. That's something we looked at loss threshold. And that kind of reminds me of what you're talking about with this quality start stat. You're looking at how often is a goalie going to consistently give me solid performance because that's something that a coach is going to care about when he's trying to decide who should be the backup, who should be the starter. There are different things they're going to be considering. For people who don't know, I know that a quality stat in uh, sorry, a quality start in baseball, I think for a pitcher it's when you go 6 innings and you allow 3 or fewer runs. What is it for a goaltender? Because it sounds like something that's kind of interesting to try to make the comparison cross sport. So in in goaltending for hockey, a uh, quality start is measured as a start that has higher than a league average save percentage across the board, like regardless of how many goals you allow, or two or fewer goals allowed with an 880 save percentage or higher. So essentially saying two or fewer goals allowed on... When the team's only allowing, you know, 10, 15, 20. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When they're allowing fewer than 20 shots, still giving them a good chance to win because you're only allowing two goals um, or fewer. Or if you have that higher than a league average save percentage. And so there's that nice window in between that there. Guys that are putting up, you know, a good game, but not a great game. But that based on, I believe it was Rob Volman who initially developed this stat. And he said that when you looked at those numbers and correlated them to wins, that gave your team about a 75% or greater chance of winning the game, which sort of says that if you have a quality start and you lose the game anyway, maybe it's your fault, maybe, but most likely just based on that probability, it's not your fault. You did what you could and the rest of the team let you down, which to me is sort of where 
that you can look and see that somebody has a good quality start percentage, but not a ton of wins. And you can say, okay, this guy's doing what he's supposed to night in and night out. He's just playing on a very bad team. He's giving his team the chance and they're not taking the ball and running with it. And conversely, you can look at a guy like, like Andres Nielsen was a good one. Mike Smith is a fantastic example. His quality start percentage is usually in the gutter, um, oh. but he tends to have a decent number of wins because um, he he'll put up a poor performance, but he has those good breakout passes here and there uh, that help his team shift back to offense. So consistently, he's not very good, but his wins may be a little bit higher than a guy like like I think last year. If you compared him and Antti Ranta. He had a higher number of wins. Ronda had the higher quality start percentage. Or I guess it was two years ago. Last year, Ronda played like ten games. But but that Fury just win, baby. Exactly. <laughs> that's Grant Fury is the kind of guy who would have that lower consistency, lower consistency threshold to go with that high win percentage. Um, but Smith really is to me. He's the the prime example because he'll win games sometimes and will not record a quality start for it. So it shows. It, it sort of shows who's benefiting from a system and who's benefiting f- or in, and who's losing out because the system is playing poorly for them. Okay, so then we've got a couple kind of stats that you can look at. I know when you and I have spoken about when you watch goalies, you always say, if I read he plays calm in a scouting report, I'm not reading the rest of the scouting report. So when you're watching a goalie or when someone is just watching a goalie on TV, Ian does report cards for The Athletic. What should we be looking at? What do you look at when you're analyzing a goalie to say, okay, this guy has got it. This guy's missing this. What are some things that you're looking for? Maybe examples, because I know he plays calm is not in your vocabulary. <laughs> it's it's funny because he plays calm. I I used to use it. And then I realized that it doesn't really tell us a ton. Like Marc-Andre Fleury and Jonathan Quick even in their heyday, did not play calmly. No. But they were still good. And so, to me, accuracy. Saying the goaltender looked accurate tonight. Uh, I know that you guys were talking about looking at that that delta change between um, where a goalie should be and where they are when they make a save. I think it was Cole Anderson who's doing right. the viz with that. Um, looking at that accuracy, looking at who is in theory, empirically, where they should be when they make a save, who looks like they need to use their hands more, who looks like they, like if a guy's constantly spread out on the ice, chances are they weren't where they needed to be to start. And they have a good recovery time there, but they're not necessarily very accurate during the game. And talking about their recovery too, I mean, you look at a guy like, like God bless Freddie Anderson, he can play an accurate game and still need to have a high recovery time because he'll make the save and then nobody is there to scoop up that rebound. And so he gets that second shot. I know Corey Schneider was a guy who really had to deal with that in New Jersey for a while where he would make the first stop. Exactly. He'd make that first stop. (laughs) There would be a rebound shot. He'd make the second stop. There would be another rebound shot. He would make the third stop. There would be a cross ice pass and then another shot. And so even talking about, you know, Sure, you can say he looked calm and controlled when he did that, but saying he looked like he had fast recovery time tonight. You know, he looked accurate on his first saves and he looked like he was, and he had really fast recovery time. His reflexes were sharp because uh, there are a number of desperation saves that have to be made throughout every game. Nobody's going to be perfectly where they need to be during the game. Right. So, you- 
you shouldn't see a goaltender that looks like he's diving into a swimming pool for the entirety of the game because that would not be accurate and he might have good recovery time but it's because he was inaccurate on his first save so you can be accurate but also have good recovery time but you can also be inaccurate and have good recovery time and therefore you make your inaccuracies kind of go away is that right yeah and you can you can play a good game with that good recovery time with those good reflexes but that's where we get into workload management when you have a guy who really needs to make a lot of those sprawling saves they tend not to do well with high workloads because they get tired faster you know that's that's a very labor intensive way to play hockey and the higher you get in terms of games played like that the the more tired you're going to be and so it's it's energy efficiency and I know that Cole's done some work looking at rest and recovery, how many games in between each play, each start a goaltender has before they start again, and what that does for their save percentage. And you see a bit of a correlation, I believe, between those guys who need that extra little bit of recovery time. And sometimes, like, once again, we go to we go to Mike Smith, because I've unfortunately watched quite a lot of his work over the years. Um, he is notoriously good at playing high high event games I guess is the best way to put it because he does have such fast reflexes but he is horrendous at back-to-backs whereas you see a guy like Auntie Ranta Henrik Lundqvist is passable in back-to-backs we've even seen guys like Jonathan Quick be okay in back-to-backs whereas a guy like Smith by the time you get to that second game he's used up everything he has in his reservoir and so he just he gets to that second game and there's nothing left. So it's it's an efficiency thing too. All right, yeah, that like that makes a ton of sense. Um I feel like this is the one I, this is the question I've been most excited about just cuz I know that I am about to get torn apart. Um last week we kind of tried to make the argument that you need to have mental fortitude to be a goalie. And that wasn't to say that you can't have athleticism because you're not going to be a goalie if you don't have athleticism. But we try to make that argument because all we hear about is he's athletic. When you look at evaluating a goalie, can you just elaborate on the whole, your thoughts on the mental fortitude versus athleticism? Because I think you need at least a bit of both but sort of why each is important. Yeah, so I, I always think it's funny when I see people bring up the either-or argument because to me it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If we're looking at like Maslow's hierarchy of goaltending, your bottom layer, that foundation, is athleticism. If you are not athletic, you will not succeed in goaltending. I don't care what anybody says. You can be... A more controlled player. You can have slightly less agility. Your flexibility can be slightly lower than someone else's. Look at, I mean, Corey Crawford. Nobody's looking at him doing super wide splits. He's not Sergei Bobrovsky. You know, those are two opposite ends of the spectrum. But that's sort of implying that Sergei Bobrovsky is athletic. So is Corey Crawford. <laughs> you know, you can't, you cannot be a goaltender and not have athleticism. Like, it's just, it doesn't happen. And so, to me, comparing the two, saying which one would you rather have all else being equal, to say 
that all else is equal and then add on the athleticism. It's like asking for a goaltender who doesn't have two legs. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a confusing question to see people ask and they do it all the time. Like it's the most common argument is, do you rather have an athletic goalie or one who has a ton of mental fortitude? And to me, that's like saying, would you rather have a goalie who like has equipment or who has both of his legs? And it's, to me, it's, it's like two different topics entirely. And agility and reflexes maybe versus mental fortitude. But to me, even that, they, they sort of tie in together. I don't think that you ever, when you look at a successful goalie, have one who has one but not the other. And I know that you guys brought up Garrett Sparks and Michael Hutchinson as examples of those, those fire drill goalies who maybe the mental fortitude isn't there yet, right? Maybe it never will be. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt because they're very nice boys, but it's not there yet. But the reflexes aren't there without the right level of mental fortitude. Uh, The agility isn't there without the right level of mental fortitude. And the mental fortitude isn't there if you can't make the save in the first place. Like if you don't, and I think Ian brought it up at the end of that discussion where he said, yeah, I'd rather have the guy who's like really mentally strong and five foot six and the guy who, but like can't play than the guy who, and being sarcastic, right? But that's, that's really what, what asking that is like you, you can't have a guy who isn't athletic, who's going to be successful and not even just the national hockey league, but in goaltending in general. And so that's when, when I was like, Oh, that question, like that triggered me a little bit. And so I, I agreed with your answer though. You were talking about how you need to have that mental fortitude to succeed. And you kind of do, you need to have this, this level of mental not just mental strength, but you need to be able, you, you need to almost be like a goldfish. I heard a coach who described it as good goalies are like goldfish. Like as soon as you allow that bad goal, like you've forgotten it, it's gone. You're just, you're ready for the next save. It's like you're, and, and some guys are almost too big of a thinkers. And so that's, that would be the bigger question that I would ask is, would you rather have a goalie who's very analytical or a guy who's just very mentally tough because that can be what you have the difference. And you look at guys like, uh, like Eric Comrie, he's one of the biggest thinkers in the game to the point where he overthinks it. And then you have guys like, like Darcy Kemper who don't like to talk about the, they don't like to talk about the technique and the saves and the gear. He doesn't at one point he was like, I'm not entirely sure which Vaughn pads I have this year. I have whatever they gave me. He doesn't overthink anything. And so that's more of just the the goldfish mentality versus the the thinking about all the little nuances and there are strengths to both, but that would be the better comparison I would ask than than athleticism versus mental fortitude. And so that's I'm stepping down off the soapbox there. That is what I have to say about that. <laughs> So I think that sums up basically the uh, the hot takery that Kat Silverman came on here to give us. So thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Except for the fact that you're in amazing weather right now. I'm super jealous of you, you and you're making me mad. amazing weather, but I'm not entirely sure that either of you knows what that means. Because <laughs> 38 yeah, Celsius is yeah. terrible. I mean, I feel like we need something in the middle. We would both be happy if it was like 22. 22. That was what I was about to say. 22 Celsius. That is the perfect temperature. I am 
almost 20 degrees above that right now. <laughs> and we're 20 degrees below. <laughs> All right. And then I think I've got one final yes or no question. <clears throat> the trapezoid should stay or go. <laughs> okay. No. Get rid of that thing. No. I, I feel like it was just made for Marty Broder. Like, you're too good, we must make a rule. It was, which is which is sapping the fun out of the game. But that's that's another story entirely. Well, hockey's not allowed to be fun. Did you know that? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They, they took the fun out of the game. They took out the adventuring. So. I say get, right. away, get rid of the blue lines before you get rid of the trapezoid. But I said, were spread. you the one who commented that? Somebody commented that online. I think it was last week. And I was like, Ooh, that's a spicy burrito. I'll take that. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I There's a lot of arguments about if you take away the trapezoid, are you allowed to make contact with goalies? And it's been brought up by a lot of goalies that goaltending masks are not currently developed to sustain hits. A lot that, of goalies will get very hurt if they end up basically starting to absorb this this physical contact more frequently but that being said i would love to see some more goalie adventures i want to see mike smith wandering more i want to see jake allen wandering more i'm sure blues fans don't but i do um <laughs> just make it a circus yes i'd like to see what happens when sergey Bobrovsky's allowed to confidently wander more i oh there's so much that i'd like to see Alrighty, well Thank you for coming on and giving everyone a much more evolved scope of what we should be and should not be looking at. So please do not, just to recap, evaluate a goaltender by wins. Please do evaluate a goaltender by quality starts. Please don't say a goalie plays calm. Replace that with accurate and has good recovery time. And moral of the story, all goalies need athleticism or you will not be a goalie. Did I miss anything? I think that's that's the long and short of it right there. Yes. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. I'm sure we will do a much more elongated version where we talk about goalies and probably have a good trapezoid conversation somewhere down the line. But um, yes, thank you so much for coming on and joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care, Catherine. You too. That was Kat Silverman of Ingoal Magazine. You can follow her on Twitter at Kat Silverman. She is the resident goalie guru on Twitter, and um, her opinion is one that I trust very much when it comes to evaluating goalies. So we definitely want to thank Kat for coming on. And uh, I think the kind of hot topic in hockey right now is the draft. So I think we're going to get into that for the rest of the podcast. Yeah, this is something that's been on Twitter. Everyone's freaking out about it. So long story short, the NHL wants to put the draft when? When is the draft going to happen, Rachel? So the NHL has this habit of doing this where they leak their plans to do X, Y, Z, and then they gauge the reaction. So Pierre Lebrun tweeted and Bob McKenzie tweeted that the NHL was expecting to move the draft to the early parts of June. So like the first or second weekend in June. And they gauged it with the teams. They gauged it clearly on Twitter. Um, I had sources tell me that it was basically going to 
it was going forward. And then the reaction was so bad that now Bill Daly's like, okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. It's not set in stone yet. So that is the perfect example of we're going to leak someone something and get someone's opinion on it. And if it's terrible, then we're not going to do that. So for people who don't know, what was recommended is that we're going to shift the lottery back to when it was, what, 2012 or 2013? The last year, the McDavid year. Yeah, where basically five teams can win it. Yeah, no, no, anyone can win it, but you can only move up a maximum of four spots. You can only move up a maximum of four spots. So if you're picking, the top five teams can pick first and nobody else can. That's what it was. Okay, that's why I had the number five stuck in my head. The last place team, the lowest they can drop is the second overall pick in this new format. So you'd basically be gift wrapping Detroit a top two pick, either the first overall pick in Alexi Lafreniere or the second overall pick in Quinton Byfield. And Ottawa, who could end up with picks one and three or two and three, whatever the case may be. Like, it's this reeks of we need to do something because we want revenue, but it's really stupid. I just don't understand why they would change the way they do the lottery. I guess what they're worried about is a team making the playoffs and then going on to win the cup while holding the first overall pick. That's what I've heard. I've heard that that's the biggest concern. So I have been seething about this for a couple of days, and I'm really glad that you brought it up in the way you did. Why would you ever have a draft when you don't even know how the season finishes, what happens if a team who picks 17th overall wins the cup? Because that's going to look absolutely terrible. Why wouldn't you just accept the fact that you can't have anything right now and it sucks to suck, but like that's the situation. You can't have a draft that depends on where you placed in the league if you intend to play. Like, especially it's ridiculous. My guess is that the league looked at what happened in the NFL, saw the NFL draft, saw the buzz that it got, and went, we want some of that in these quarantine You're times. Totally We've got right. a draft coming up in June. You know what? We might not be able to get games in by then, but we can get some TV product in by then. And I bet you they want the revenue that comes with that. They want the buzz that comes with that. But it's just a genuine, like, if they said, okay, we're ending the regular season, we're only coming back for playoffs, and these are the standings, then I'll go with it. I don't like it. I'll go with it. But what the hell happens if, let's say, um, Vancouver, who's currently in the playoffs right now, doesn't have a shot to win the lottery and move up, but then you come back, you play regular season games, and Vancouver misses out, and the team that won the lottery ends up making the playoffs. Like, it's, to me, you ha- there are other decisions that need to be made before you can just say, we're going to have a draft. Because... There are, I believe there are 15 picks or trades that have conditions on them that are are impacted by this draft. And you can't just go ahead and tell teams, oh, just go renegotiate your trade. That's not how it works. So to me, I totally agree with you. Like, I think they saw what happened with the NFL and said, oh, we want to do that. The difference is the NFL's not in the middle of their damn season. Yeah, then, they're in the off season. Yeah. They're, it's different. They've already awarded their Super Bowl. Exactly. So you can't have a situation like that. And to me, I think Justin Bourne 
put this beautifully. You don't just do something for the sake of doing it. And this reeks of that. This is just like, oh, look, look at that shiny thing that that league did. We need to do that. Instead of stepping back and thinking about it, because the Flyers have come out and said it's a terrible idea. There are other teams that think it's an awful idea. No one in from a fan standpoint thinks it's a good idea. There are players that think it's a terrible idea. And question, Ian, let's say you are a team that gets the 17th overall pick and you make the playoffs and you pick player X and the season comes back. Are you allowed to use that player for free? Or does he burn a year on his ELC? Like Technically, he's your property because you've drafted him. Are you allowed to play him? My guess is that there would need to be rules based on that if they're going to do this. Frankly, I think it's stupid. I think it makes (laughs) the most sense to do this when the season's over and right before the July 1st is going to move to November 1st or whenever things move. I don't know what the timetable is for a return and end of season. And then when is the July 1st date? When is the first date of free agency? I think the, the smartest time for a draft is after the Stanley Cup's been awarded before free agency. That's right. when it's always been. Why not just keep doing it like that? Now, there are some sports where the draft comes after free agency, I know the NFL does it that way. Right. But the NFL, you're drafting for need. The NHL, you draft for, like, let's say you have the second overall pick and the best overall player in the NFL draft uh, that's available is a quarterback. But Tom Brady is your quarterback. You're not drafting a, a quarterback. Well, right? I don't know. Aaron Rodgers disagrees. Well, yeah, Aaron Rodgers is very angry right now. But what I'm <laughs> saying is, is like, okay, so here's a situation. What if you have your draft and conditional picks are sorted out and team a team gets awarded a conditional pick whatever what if you resume the season and conditions on that said trade are or aren't met that would have reversed that situation what happens to that pick then and then Can you've you give got me an teams- example i'm trying to think of one that okay that comes so um the leafs have conditions on a pick where if jack campbell plays I think like a certain amount of games and gets a certain amount of wins. They have to send a, a pick to the Kings. Is it six wins? Does that sound I think right it's six to you? wins. Yeah. So, okay. but there's there's there are picks like first round picks that have conditions on them. So you're telling me that you're going to tell a team, oh, you've got to surrender a first round pick, but we're going to play the regular season, and those conditions might not be met. Does that team then get that pick back and that player? Like to me. If the logical decision here, and everyone's going to hate to hear this, first step, regular season, done, not happening. The standings are the way they are based on points percentage, too damn bad. I think players are going to want five-ish tune-up games before playoffs. Right, but they sh- like then make them preseason. You, If you want to have the draft the first week of June, you have to end the regular season because you cannot have this opportunity for teams to go up or down in the standings that could severely impact their draft position after the draft then i think you have to do it based on the points percentage of whenever you're doing the draft right right so it's one of those things to me quite honestly unprecedented times do what you did in 1918 cancel the season done unprecedented times the last time this happened we didn't award the cup and then everybody will be disappointed we don't have hockey. But guess what? We're already like a month and a half in. People are used to it. No one's going to die like can without I, hockey. Can I say something, though? I think that's probably the right call. Yeah. 
I think with uh, an American government that's run by Trump and we have meetings with the head of every league, there's a plan to come back and try to find a way to salvage a TV product out of this. I think that's what's going to end up happening. Right. But so if you're going to do that, then you cannot have the draft. Like it makes less than zero sense. If I'm a team and I have traded a first round pick to another team and the Devils, so the Devils own the Canucks conditional first right now. And I forget what the conditions are, but I think the Canucks can push it to next year and it would be unprotected lottery, right? But let's say you have, if player X plays, scores this many goals and you win the Stanley Cup or whatever, that pick turns into a first. Well, what happens if you give them that first round pick and then you don't win the cup? Now you've surrendered a first round pick as a team. I would be furious about that. So you can't meet the NHL has to have if they're going to have the draft, they have to have a blanket statement on conditions and just say, you know what? None of the conditions were met. So the original pick is the original pick. And that's just it. I think the hard part here is that regardless of what decision is made when it comes to affecting the regular season, playoffs, draft uh, pick allocation, some teams are going to feel screwed over. Absolutely. And there's not much you can really do about it because the entire world's getting screwed over right now. These are very terrible circumstances. I think our point is you don't need to exacerbate an already terrible situation. I think that's the NHL's argument. They're saying, hey, why can't we just get this NHL draft product on TV? Screw it. It's going to suck that it's going to have to happen during the season, but is there a way to make it work? I think that's what they want to find out. And I think what they're finding out from the fan response is that maybe the answer to that question is no. Right, because let's say, okay, you're Detroit. You win the lottery, right? You have a 50% chance of winning the lottery. You get Alexi Lafreniere. Okay, now the season resumes. Is he allowed to play? Because he shouldn't be. My guess would be no. My guess would be any player taken in this draft is not allowed to play in the in, regular season or playoffs of this You would season. have to think. But then, my, like, the entire thing could be avoided by A, canceling the season, which is the correct thing to do. You know they're not going to do it, though, unless they absolutely have to. But they're not going to do that. So then B, be patient. Like, I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you, but be patient. Like, that's just how it needs to be. Because why would you create all this unnecessary chaos? All you're doing, it seems, I, I think the term is big-braining it. You're just big-braining it. Like, it, you galaxy don't brain? need to... Like... Galaxy brain, thank you. <laughs> like you don't need to do that. Why are you doing that? Uh, so, long story short... The NHL put out this proposal saying, hey, what do you think? Everyone hates it, but there's going to have to be something that ends up being the decision, and it's going to piss off a lot of people either way. I just hope that ends up being postponing the draft, because to me that makes the most sense. Right. Let's say like the NHL is preparing to come back and, and start in July. Okay, the draft is Labor Day weekend, because at that point you have eight weeks to have your playoffs. You're going to have to, do if you intend to have the playoffs, you're going to have to delay the start of next year. So you might as well delay the draft. That's happening free though. I think you have to accept the fact that next season is going to start in what, December or January or something like Probably. that. Probably. 
right? Yeah. And it's going to have to be a shortened one. They're not playing 82 games. Like, look, get that out yeah. of your head. Because We're not you, getting back to normal, like, until maybe two, two or three seasons from Unless now. Unless they We're not just cancel back. the rest of this year, which would make everyone's life so much easier and they just refuse to do You say that, it. but then you miss out on playoff revenue. Players miss out on money. TV companies miss out on money. This is, this is the part the that people are frustrated The players are missing about. out on so much money anyways that, like, first of all, the players don't get paid in the playoffs. Yeah, so people are trying to salvage something here for their, their salaries in the regular season. Can we get, maybe we can't get 82 games in, but can we get 70 games in? Can we get 75 right. games in? I'm curious to see what the Because you're going to have injuries, is. like... Compacting the schedule, any sports science person, any doctor worth a lick is going to tell you further compact. The NHL season is already too compacted. Further compacting it is going to lead to more injuries. And that's what you don't want. You don't want another season where Connor McDavid is injured or whomever else. I just think that the NHL put this out. And then when teams realized that they were serious and when fans realized that they were serious because guys like Bob McKenzie tweeted it, everyone went, whoa, this is such a terrible idea. And think about it, like, some of the teams, like the Canucks, which is a huge topic in Vancouver right now, are pushing back because amateur scouting contracts expire June 30th. So if the draft gets pushed back beyond that, are they going to be obligated to work that draft? Like, is there a provision in there for that? I highly doubt that these contracts have provisions for canceled season, right? So Technically it's one of those... postponed as of right now. Right. So postponed draft. I, I don't think that there's a provision in there for that. But I also don't think that it's really all that necessary to be rushing into anything. Like, I really think you need to think how you're going to do this properly out because... If there's one thing that's true, it's the NHL gets it wrong more than they get it right. I think you and I both agree on that one. (sighs) It can be frustrating being a fan of this league. But for what it's worth, they haven't made this decision yet. And I hope that they're listening to some of this reaction and that they're seeing how bad it is. And they're seeing that, you know what, as cool as it would be to try to replicate what the NFL drafted by having something on TV during these weird times during quarantine before sports come back. I think that the right call in the end is going to be postponing it. We'll see what they end up going with. But the proposal to change the draft lottery odds all of a sudden because they're worried about playoff teams, I don't know. All of this is very frustrating to talk about. I wish there was something more fun to talk about. So I think I'm going to hop on the ice here for the Kovalev shift. Can we can we change gears here a bit? What was it going to be our, our Kovalev shift of the day? So I think um, with all of everything that's happening and the fact that yours truly has started a new job, um, we are going to take probably a week off. We'll take next week off from the podcast and we'll be back probably towards the end of May um, just so that I can get settled and acclimated to working for a bank. Um Congratulations, by the way, Rachel. Thank you. Um, And all that comes with that. But I think we need to update uh, our mental health because a lot of people ask about it. And um, it's really good that our Kovalev Shift sponsor actually came out with these limited edition socks that go directly to supporting uh, the frontline workers. And so if you go to Major League Socks, you can pick up a pair of healthcare heroes, Major League Socks. And I think both Ian and I are going to be getting a pair uh, to support 
that initiative because these are tough times. But uh, do you want to give us an update on sort of how you're doing and what you're you're doing to keep busy? Yeah, I mean, I could be honest, and this is the hard part when people say, hey, how are you doing? And the easy way to respond is by saying, hey, uh, you know, not too bad, how are you doing? But I'm not doing great. This is awful. This sucks. This is, it's not fun being isolated. It's not fun being quarantined, stuck in the same spot. So what makes the good days better than the bad days is kind of like what I've been asking myself lately because, you know, there are no Leafs games to do Leafs report cards on right now, as you may have realized as freelance writers, it's a tough time right now. So what I'm trying to do, I mean, mental health wise, it's like get up in the morning, eat something, see if you can get outside once a day, bare minimum. That's kind of the, the days where I get outside outside are by far my better days oh yeah go outside safely do not congregate on the lakeshore bike path go outside go to the protest get your sign ready (laughs) and then wait outside of the government buildings until they (laughs) those signs specifically i think everyone saw the one i called out on twitter and i felt obligated to as a german the auschwitz sign i just that is... There's some interesting stuff going on in the States right now. I'd, I'd like to think that Canada is much better, but I don't know. Then again, we, we take a good look in the mirror sometimes and we, we need, realize yeah. that we're not so great. But when it comes to this uh, quarantine, I know that I've been getting the most enjoyment out of face-to-face communication, whether it's FaceTime or Zoom or anything. And I know that it sucks to hop on Zoom again when you'd rather just meet up in person because... Trust me, a a beer in person is way better than over Zoom, I I know. But doing it with my friends, like going uh, having a Friday night beer chat, you know, reminiscing over things, playing NHL 20 with my friends and and getting into it, it's it's the kind of social... I don't even know how you describe it. We're, we're social creatures and I need that. And I feel like being in isolation, I've been missing so much of that. So the more I get out and I talk to people through the internet... I have to stay inside, but the more that I get out socially using FaceTime, Zoom, uh, you know, there's these crazy devices called phones and we can call people. I know no one likes that's doing that not allowed. these days. I know that that's some weird technology. I, I just randomly cold called Mikey Stevens the other day. He's like, no one calls me other than my grandma. And I'm like, well, deal with it because I need someone to talk to. Speaking of Mikey but- Stevens, I actually think so earlier today, Mike came out and said that he's been struggling with depression and that he finally went to get therapy and uh on this podcast both of us are very close with mikey stevens so we're talking about mental health i was health. with him when the raptors won the championship me and him were on top of a bus at like 2 a.m it was yeah, awesome yeah you you were <laughs> yes you were i was doing um some other things not jumping on buses, but um, I just want to say that I'm super proud of Mike for having the confidence to do that and for getting help because on this podcast, we are proponents of getting help. Ian and I both see, um, I personally see a psychiatrist, um, but we both see people for our mental health issues. And so um, anytime that someone wants to come out and say, I'm doing this to better myself, this podcast is going to have their back. So, And I think for a lot of guys who, especially in the sports industry, there's this kind of macho, you know, manly, tough it out kind of thing where the second you start feeling really, really shitty about yourself and you get caught into some really bad habits and 
let's look over the last two months. I think a lot of us are stuck in some bad habits just because of the situation. Yeah. And it's hard. Who do you go see help from? Because you don't want to, you know, overload the the healthcare workers right now. So there are people you can talk to. Maybe uh, when we put this episode out that we'll, we'll put some resources of places that people can call or send emails to. I mean, just honestly, your family doctor, if you have one, if you need to get a referral to a professional, I know that's what I've done in the past. So uh, highly recommend just talking to anyone about mental health. It helps so much just kind of understanding where you're at and where you need to be. Uh, I think the biggest stigma is that we can't talk about it and you can, it's okay to, to not be okay sometimes, especially right now when we're going through these unprecedented, what, two months of complete quarantine worldwide. This is the movie Contagion right now, and we're living it. So uh, it's okay to feel a bit shitty right now. Just just know that if you're feeling that way. Yeah, and I think, um, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I've probably had the best almost two weeks of my life mentally in f- almost four years. I have no clue why that is, um, but... I just, I'm starting to feel better for whatever reason. Um, I think maybe it has to do with the fact that there's a little bit more structure in my life now with certain things. Um, Ian knows that I am a very regimented human being. Um, I like my schedule. Probably the biggest difference between us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably. But like, I have make time every day to like work out and I'm conscious about what I eat now. Um, Not to a psycho degree. I'm just conscious about like what's going in my body um not as many trips to mcdonald's exactly um (laughs) more fruit and vegetables um but i i don't know i've been watching more hockey but i would just i'm kind of shocked that it's coming at the time that it is um i kind of just kick a soccer ball around outside in my backyard and um it's very cathartic for me for whatever silly dumb reason um, but yeah, anyone who's kind of checked in on me, uh, over the past, maybe week and a half knows that I'm doing a little bit better now. So that's kind of nice. Cause it's been four years of really dark. Really I was going to say, if someone deserves a big pick me up right now, it's you. I'm really <laughs> glad that you're, you're hanging in there during quarantine right now. It's, I think the soccer ball thing in the backyard, that's such a little thing that I feel like goes a long way. There was one day where I just grabbed my hockey stick and I just did weird random stick handles for half an hour where I listened to music and I suck. I'm not sure if you've seen me play, but I'm really bad. (laughs) But it was fun. And it was something I did that for 30 minutes, you know what? I was active and I was productive and I did something. Exactly. All right. Well, I think we've rambled a little bit, but that's kind of what's going to happen. So uh, we'll take at least a week off. Probably that'll be it because I'm... I'll be used to my working life, hopefully, by then. Um, Because, little known fact, combining full-time job with full-time research is um, relatively difficult. Um, But we'll be back. The podcast is not going anywhere, at least for now. We don't have any plans. Um, So we will hop off the ice from our Kovalev shift. But make sure you pick up a pair of those uh, healthcare heroes from MajorLeagueSocks.com. Support our healthcare heroes. There's a bunch of initiatives and... And that's a really cool one, and they're high-quality socks, so yeah. why not? My girlfriend works at CAMH, so she'll appreciate that. I've seen her in the full quarantine suit. It's awesome. Yeah, it's basically a hazmat suit. It's what I have to you wear when the, we go the lab. You know the scene in Monsters, Inc., where they, they think someone's contaminated? They're 2314! <laughs> 
it's like 2319 we have a 2319 yep exactly down and (laughs) yeah i think it's like george sanderson or something it's my favorite movie monsters inc those people in those big yellow suits that's my girlfriend every time she goes to work it's (laughs) messed up i love that and it's the part of the 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 movie where mike wazowski is dressed up in like he's like a strainer on his eye and he goes okay if it doesn't come near us we'll be fine and then boo sneezes on his eye and he sprays hand sanitizer into his eye that's basically (laughs) what we're doing right now hey i mean the trump solution was to inject bleach into ourselves so i mean i tried it the other day Still waiting on the results, but I'll I'll be sure to report back to the... (laughs) You'd be dead. (laughs) Yeah, we actually got an email from our professor. Like, it went out to the class. It was like, absolutely don't do that. But, um, okay, so we're going to do a top three today. And it's going to be a bit different because um, I feel like, maybe less so you, but I have been getting pestered to do this um, on our podcast account. Three little known facts about each of us. That's a good one. I like it because uh, we actually had to think about it. Like both Ian and I were like, oh, try to think like what people don't know about me, especially I'm just thinking putting a podcast out with uh, Leaf Geeks when I was doing it regularly. I've been doing that since 2016. So I'm thinking, what do people not know about me by now? I was a huge drama nerd in high school. Oh, that's cool. Loved doing performances on stage, you know, all the... Sometimes they gave me, like, a bunch of little funny characters to provide comedic relief. I always wanted to be, like, the lead, the main dramatic role, whereas they tend to just, like, using my energy to bring out laughs when they needed them, so that tended to be more my my forte, but... Yeah. uh, Yeah, I was obsessed with that stuff in high school. Okay, um... We'll do, like, one fact each, I guess. Sounds um, good. So we'll go back and forth. We'll go back and forth. Um, I vaguely mentioned this, but I am anaphylactic to the coffee bean. So What? Yeah, so, like, my grandpa comes downstairs every morning and grinds coffee, and I literally can't breathe. And if I ingest coffee, like, my throat swells. Do you have an EpiPen on I you? I do. Oh. It's actually very dangerous and for coffee. Yeah, so everyone's like, "Oh, do you want a coffee or let's go get coffee?" I'm like, oh, "I'm going to have hot chocolate or a tea." Chocolate milk's always my go-to. I look like a 12-year-old, but yeah, I've always hated like, coffee. Everyone asks like when they say, "Oh, I'm going to Starbucks, do you want anything?" And I'll just be like, "Just a hot chocolate? I don't know." <laughs> Because then again, Tarian's starting to get me hooked on uh ice caps now. Oh, so I yeah, I can't like. have Once- that. Can't have an Americano oh, yeah, I guess or can, espresso can you, no. or any of thing. Anything with the coffee. I can't have cake. Like, I can't have tiramisu cake because it has oh. coffee in it. All right. I'll go little known fact number two. I was four foot nine in grade nine. I was I don't think that. I... <laughs> and I think I hit five feet in grade 10 or 11. So I was basically short my entire life. That's cool. I grew to a stunning five foot nine-ish in university so oh all right that. that's not bad but yeah i was always the nathan gerby of my team you would not be getting drafted into the nhl i'm sorry especially not as a goaltender well i also sucked so there was that <laughs> but key point yeah um i have four tattoos it, oh did you not all know right. that either I don't, I don't think i've ever seen any of your tattoos okay so i have one on my wrist um it's the roman numeral one 
Um, my brother and sister have two and three to correspond, and it's kind of wow. our little thing as siblings. Um, and then the other like really special one I have is the tattoo of um, the mouse on my foot. And um, it was always a mouse that my grandfather drew. It was kind of like his symbol. He also called me mouse growing up. Um, so it's on my foot. Um, and it's kind of the whole like, wherever you go, I'll be right there with you. Um, so what I actually had was I had him draw it out and I took it to the tattoo parlor and she goes, Oh, oh like so I'll draw it for you. I go, no, no, no. I'm not looking for your opinion. I would like you to trace it directly onto my body. So it's, he basically drew it on and I had it tattooed. So those are the two that I don't have any like chintzy tattoos. Like they all mean something, but those are the two that are really, uh, really deep rooted. So those that, yeah. I don't have anything good like that, so I'm trying to think of something good I can come up with. How many jerseys do you have behind you? Not enough. Not as many as me? <laughs> I'm starting to set up for when I do the video uh, portion of the podcast. I'm starting to set up the home studio. I'm not done yet. It's kind of been a, a little project I've been working on, but for the first time in my life, my room is clean, and I mean completely clean. It, there's nothing on the floor. Uh, there's nothing on like the desks or anything. It's I, I committed to actually cleaning things up for once. Which, if you know me, that's that's, that's something I never do. Maybe How that's about your... that for a little known fact about me. <laughs> I clean my room like down to like the square inch because I'm I'm thinking I'm here every day. I should know what's in here. And uh, yes, yeah. Especially now, now that I'm in my room about as often as like a prisoner's in their cell, which is what it feels like. Yeah. I want to make sure that everything's, you know, looking pretty decent. So behind me, I've got, what do I have? I've got a Kawhi jersey. I've got a, a Blue Jays jersey, some Leaf stuff. Got a nice Aaron Rodgers jersey there. Going to have to replace that with a Jordan Love jersey pretty soon. But yeah. <laughs> otherwise, I'm doing... Uh, Doing all right. I'm trying to make the most of the situation right now. So I'm trying to turn the room into a home studio. I think I have upwards of like 40 game worn autograph jerseys. Like I, it's wow. a little stupid. Just a little humble brag there. It's honestly it's so, like they just get given to me by people who are like, I don't need this. Okay, I'll take it. Sorry, I just know so many people. No, just, they're like I'm random just... people. Um, but they know I'm a huge sports fan. So like maybe they win it at work or something. I don't know. It's really only the soccer ones where like I actually procure those. Um, and that kind of leads into my little known fact. Um, I'm kind of known for like hockey and everyone associates like me with hockey. I am a significantly better soccer player than I ever was a hockey player. Ooh, what position? Um, so for, on the school team, I played keeper, um, but, oh, you're crazy. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, like regularly, uh, like when I played just in the league or like, uh, whatever, um, I play attacking midfield. So, so you must've been really good with your feet then as a keeper, kind of like Manuel Neuer. I, that's kind of who I watched a lot of him growing up and a lot of Iker Casillas, Ah, uh, yeah. Um, so for me, um, I actually never really realized that I was a decent soccer player until I tried out for the school team. And my teacher was like, uh, where do you play soccer? I'm like, I don't really play soccer. I'm actually just a gymnast. And he was like, mm, okay, well, you should play soccer. But realistically, it was because I grew up a German kid who 
played soccer with all her German cousins and friends. And when you're German, being good at soccer is um, sort of not really an option. You have to be good at it. I was going to say, you're just born, and then the first thing they do is hand you a soccer it's ball. It's soccer ball or handball. <laughs> Beer. <laughs> Yeah. It's- oh, German beer is amazing. I spent like 10 hours in Berlin and I spent all of it drinking beer. It was fantastic. Yeah. So I have, if you actually go to my Twitter, um, like profile, there is my banner is a picture of my soccer shoes. Um, and my nickname is literally emblazoned on them. Um, so yeah, I, I can't play hockey anymore. I, I like, I coach, but, um, once my knee is functional again, I will probably go back to playing soccer. Can I give you one little more... Uh, sorry, can I give you one more little-known fact about yourself? Okay. This is how my phone pronounces your name. Call Rachel Dory. Calling Rachel Dorich. Very accurate. Is that is that anywhere... Rachel Dorich? That is uh, not close. Um, for anyone who doesn't know how to pronounce my last name, think of Finding Nemo. Okay, the fish in that movie... Which is how I got my nickname. <laughs> Rachel Dory, not Rachel Do. Exactly. My phone sounded like it was having like a, <laughs> a stroke as we let that out. <laughs> Didn't sound great. Yeah. All right, we should probably get out of here, but I like that we're having some good conversation. I feel like this is one thing the podcast provides is, hey, once a week we get to do this. We're going to take our mental health break kind of next week so no podcast coming out on tuesday but i think we'll be back the tuesday after that because i think it is good to have this kind of routine in our lives yeah like we'll be back um we're not going anywhere um so it's basically so that ian can get a schedule and that rachel can get adjusted to her job so that she doesn't forget how to do things like sleep and eat Rachel's going to learn how to live her new life and Ian's going to get his shit together, basically. (laughs) Yeah, because anyone who knows what happened in my old job knows that I didn't really eat and I didn't really sleep and that wasn't healthy. So I vowed to myself that I would never let that happen again. So I'm going to be, what is it, strict about how I handle those things. So we will be back in a couple weeks. And until then, stay safe. Stay healthy, and for God's sake, follow the damn guidelines. Hang in there, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Staff and Graph podcast. You can check out Rachel Dory's work at The First Pass, and Ian Tullock's written work can be found at The Athletic and The Leafs Geeks podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this. Also, be sure to follow these nerds on Twitter at Rachel Dory and at Ian Graff.